All right, welcome everybody to the Miduele podcast. Stuart Anderson here. Join with me today, Sarah Kaufman, coach Sarah Kaufman, and team member and friend Doug Brower. Very exciting. We've got a uh, some awesome stuff in store for you. But first, before uh, we move forward, I just want to do some introductions, if that's okay with you guys. Doug nope. loves to suffer, and he loves to dish it out. I've ridden with Doug for years, and he is what I call a lifter, if that makes any sense. I believe there's two types of people on earth, a lifter and a leaner, and Doug is always finding a way to lift those around him, uh, even if he has to push to make the situation better. He, uh, I love Doug because he's always pushing himself to be better. And I, I did a little research this morning on Strava, Doug. 2012 was the first ride I saw. Does it go back farther? It goes back further. Uh, but I, you, you, when, I don't know when Strava came out. But no, it's, yeah, 2012, I was, uh, I was suffering. But yeah, it goes back further. It goes back farther. Okay, so me and Doug would see each other. My most memorable experience, Doug, is, is when we saw each other at that Torah Park City, <laughs> 150 miles deep, and we, ro- we rolled across together just up the top of that Browns Canyon. That was a terrible day, just. And you were alone the whole time. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I think that's still, like, per my for my athletic uh, wherewithal at that point in life. I think that was the hardest ride of my life. Oh yeah. Because it was nine hours solo and I had terrible, like I was in terrible shape. Yeah. That so was... to this day, I think it's still like the hardest ride. Huh. Congratulations. Well done. Uh, Doug is VP of operations at BMW Murray. He has a beautiful family and has financially supported the Miduele team for the past three years you wear his logo on your jersey. So give Doug a high five and thank him for providing for your clothing. Thank you, Doug. Sarah Kaufman. Uh, I met Sarah last year. Doug introduced me to her. Uh, She is a coach and first off, a professional cyclist, currently on the 2021 DNA women's team roster and has raced professionally since 2008. She's also worked as a coach since 2012. And her experience as a racer allows her a very personal approach backed by science, training peaks, right? To uh, help with coaching. Uh, The most interesting, I think, uh, thing about Sarah that I love though, that she put on her bio is that she is part of the board of directors for the Utah High School Mountain Bike Association. So she's always at all the Utah high school uh, races. As a comment, are you, you're in the booth. Yeah, I do. I'm on the board of directors and I do some announcing, which is really, really fun. So that is so cool that you, uh, you do that for the local community. So uh, welcome. And the reason that these two are on together is Doug and Sarah are coach. And what, what do I call you? What do I call you, Doug? Athlete? Athlete, yeah. Yeah. And Sarah's Doug- kind enough to refer to me as an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> so Last year, uh, Doug and I are ramping into August, and it's like, we're going for the big one. We're going for the Lotija. And Doug says, I need some help as we approach this ridiculous day. And he went off and found Sarah through Training Peaks. And uh, Doug, will you take it away? Will you, will you talk about how that happened, how it all kind of came together? Yeah, I mean... I- to, to back up real quick, I mean, this was right around the time 
and I take that back about Park City, the most painful ride ever. Uh, <laughs> we we were doing yeah, like, most of what Sarah deals with, and I, I'm assume, I'm making an assumption here, so she can correct this, is type A personality idiots that that try to just bite off as much as they can, but we don't know what we're doing. So we decided, uh, I don't remember how this came about, but, oh, no, I do. I take this back. So Stu refuses to drive somewhere to start a bike ride. <laughs> like it's true. against, so it's, a, it's against that my is doctrinally code. incorrect. Yes, yeah. it, it doesn't work. That's why mountain biking uh, is an illegal to... maneuver. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't, why I don't can't have mountain one. bike. No. Uh, it, it, it's against his rules. But <laughs> I have always wanted to. I'm like, Stu, my favorite climb is Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. And it, wow. it's amazing. You have to go <laughs> see this. But he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't, mm-hmm. he's not going to drive to Park City and no. like do a loop around Browns Canyon and still go for a really hard ride. Like, no, like no. we have to start from here. Mm-hmm. So the the other moron that decided to join was Dave Sharp, ah. obviously. Mm-hmm. So we we go. We had a nice crew that supported us uh, along the way. A few riders that that aren't as idiotic, you know, troubled. Mm-hmm. And we did this. We rode the Wolf Creek and back. And I think it was, the day was I don't know fourteen thousand feet of vert that day. I remember Dave Sharp because he was so much smarter than both of us that he was doing laps up <laughs> Empire on the way back, taking pictures of us. It's always the worst when you, you're so slow on a climb that the other guy stops and takes pictures of you off his bike. I remember. It just he makes me like, feel he terrible. Like, and He was like encouraging us, like, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. And he, like, you know, like, thanks for the pictures. So <laughs> it was terrible. So about that time, I'm like, we have no idea what we're doing. We thought this was a good idea. I need, like, I need help. What, what are we doing? So I, I looked up Sarah on, I found her on Training Peaks. I already had a Training Peaks account because I thought I knew what data was. And I looked her up. And I actually think it would be funny. I don't know if Sarah remembers because I know that she looks at a lot of data, but, uh, I'll, I'll add in and, and give myself a hard time, but I would like to hear if she remembers when she opened that file and what she looked at and how bad it was. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but yeah, I remember that it was a lot of training with very little structure. Um, and I mean, to me, <laughs> sometimes when I see that, it's kind of, um, it's kind of cool because I know that there's a lot of progress to be made at that point. So, um, that yeah. Could, Sarah, that could be like the tagline for me, Dwelly. A lot of writing, very little, <laughs> very little, very little structure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, I think that's what a lot, a lot of people do. And I will say that's what I did before I got a coach too. Um, cause, and partly I think, um, I mean, that's what we want to do, right? Everybody wants to ride as much as we can, but at the end of the day, um, it, I think it's, um, you know, better to make better use of whatever time you have available and um, you can get faster. Um, 
maybe maybe riding less, maybe riding more, but um, but with some structure. So, um, what when you started working with Doug? What was the first thing you guys started started implementing? What what happened first? Well, I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, but I think um, when we very first started, it was just prior to loaded to last year, and so initially, I think I just put together um, a tapering plan because it was. I want to say it was just a couple of weeks. Um, And then that seemed to work really well, despite whatever he had done all summer. Um, So that got him through Lodija. And then I believe I encouraged him to take a break. And then we started, um, you know, kind of preparing for 2020 um, after that. Um, And, you know, for Doug and for a lot of people that through the winter, that means a lot of time on the trainer. Um, the, I didn't kind of introduce the reason behind my, my reason behind what I thought this interview podcast could be, which is Doug and I, you know, probably spent a good deal of time wondering why a coach, you know, like, um, what is the, what is the point? We're strong. We're fast. We're, we're getting faster. We're, we're old. It's not, should I really get a coach? Does it matter? Like, eh. Um, and, and for me, uh, in the profession that I have, having a coach is so important because being able to have the outside perspective of accountability, as well as someone that can just call you an idiot and be like, Oh, I trust them. I respect them. I am an idiot. And then do the thing that they are encouraging you to do. I mean, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, how has your life changed since kind of turning over to, to Sarah? So, yeah, to take a, a step back, I mean, when I sat down with Sarah and I'm like, I need, I need help. And she looked at it. She's like, well, you might be overtrained for one. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're overreaching hard. Uh, but then she looked in the data more and she's like, wait, you, you never updated your FTP. You're an idiot. So I was thinking that I was doing like 800 TSS weeks but I wasn't, I'm just a moron. So mm-hmm. we corrected that, did a taper, got through, and then you started structured training. I mean, I remember in big Cottonwood, you know, you do a Tuesday or Thursday or whatever day it is, meet up at big Cottonwood Canyon. I would get on Dave Sharp's wheel or Jameson, Jameson Rice's wheel, and they would make me tired riding over because the only math or the only analytic I could figure out was, oh, I have to weigh less and be able to produce power. So I could survive on the climb, but I couldn't survive on the way to the climb, which was ridiculous. So, uh, so much structure. Um, I'm super analytical, so I like the structure. Uh, And the first things that you'll notice if you do explore coaching or, um, any type of plan is that rather than spinning in zone one to the climb or the meet and then doing zone four on the climb, which is harder, you're going to spend a lot of time in zone two. And if I look at my analytics now, I've spent hours upon hours upon hours more writing in zone two and zone three than I ever did before. And it's helped me create a great aerobic engine. Um, nice. far better than it was before anyway. 
so I can actually keep up with Jamison Rice or Dave Sharp on the way to the climb, which is which is so much cooler. Um, Sarah, will you break down like what Doug is talking about? We, we kind of have in the notes here, like what mistakes are most athletes making? And I think Doug would be like most athletes before he started working with you. Like what, what is happening there? Yeah, I mean, um, well, well, one thing I just wanted to point out too, you know, this year was unique and doing all that time at zone two wouldn't necessarily um, occur in a normal race year, right? If you're racing more often, there would be more time spent at higher intensity through the workouts and just like organically through the races. But in some ways, I think 2020 was a little bit of a gift in that way because um, there was time to do all of this low intensity aerobic base building and that's gonna set people up really well for next year. Nice. Um, so yeah, to follow that, I mean, the kind of the loose definition of structured training would be, you know, um, uh, training that is targeted around specific energy sy systems rather than, um, cause I would say, Doug, if you say like, you're going to go and ride a climb at zone four, my guess is that when we dug into the power files, um, of those rides, you know, prior to when we started working together, that it it probably felt like zone four, but it was probably like going super hard at the bottom of the climb, then you blow up a little bit, and then maybe you're riding kind of at zone three, maybe getting up to zone four here and there, but it, you're probably not spending as much time in zone four as you think. Um, whereas if you are doing like I had you do a ton of sweet spot and, and tempo work this year. And so it was probably at the end, you know, a bigger quantity of training at that intensity than blowing up at the bottom of the climb and kind of limping, but really suffering the rest of the way up. Does that make sense? No. And I want to take note of how nice she says things. <laughs> She's like, so you're an idiot. You go as hard as you can, then you back off. <laughs> And like, I don't know how she says things so nice. Well, I recognize it's, it's that just, it doesn't feel like you're backing up, but I just would guess if I were looking at the power files, that's what it would show. Um, Sarah, I think it would be important right here to, to maybe just talk about like what you do as a coach. I mean, cause you've got all these guys who are gals who are listening to this and they're like, coach, whatever. Like, what do you do for Doug? Well, um, you know, in the simplest sense, I'm just writing a training program, but I would argue that it's a lot more than that. I mean, I recognize that, you know, following a training plan is, um, it's not really as simple as just following a training plan. And um, for me, that's, uh, I've, I've really struggled to, to write pre-written plans because to me, the training plan is kind of always evolving as we're going along. Like I'm looking at the workouts that Doug does, and then um, that's gonna determine what I might want him to do next week. Um, I'm taking into account like, uh, for example, this year through a ton of really unusual stress at people. And there were different points in the year when I think um, Doug was 
under more or less stress than other times. And it, it was really obvious in his training, either in the quality of his training or just in his ability to train and, and like workouts were getting missed. So, you know, if you're trying to follow a pre-written plan, it's not going to be taking all of that into account. So um, as a coach, I try to get people to share with me what's going on in their life because it does really impact their training. Um, so yeah, I mean, in the simplest sense, it's writing training plans in a deeper sense, it's being a little bit of a psychologist. And then also, you know, um, each athlete is motivated in different ways. Like I will say Doug can really tolerate a lot of work on the trainer. Personally, I would be burnt out at the, at the training load that he's currently doing on the, the trainer. Um, but you know, I gave him what I felt like was a lot last winter and he handled it really well. And this year, you know, he was interested in kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. And so we decided to, to go a little bit harder. And, you know, after a year, I feel like I'm confident that we're pushing the envelope, but we're doing it in a smart way. Um, and is there a risk that it's too much? Yes. But I think like we, um, communicate pretty frequently. I feel like I have a good handle on how it's going. And so we can always pull back, but you know, it, so yes, there's a risk, but the upside is he might be really, really fit in the spring. Hmm, maybe. We'll <laughs> that's, that's the we'll idea. See. We'll see yeah. if we get this spring if that ever happened. Yeah. Um, Doug, quick question for you. What, what, and I'll answer the same, I'll answer it. What prevented you from hiring a coach sooner and why, like, what was it that flipped you that was like, okay, I got to do this. I got to find someone. Well, I, th I think, you know, Sarah called me out originally on it and she said, well, okay, so you called me because you plateaued and you don't know what to do from here. Hmm. Because we all get to a point that we can, you know, do whatever, but we don't know what to do next. And and I would argue that obviously that's why I did it. But I mean, if you were to start, like if I would have started with Sarah years and years ago, like how the much, how much better off would I be now? Hmm. It would be awesome uh, to have that structure in place. So yeah, it's, it's most of us plateau and we're like, we don't know what to do next. Uh, the only answers we have is ride more or lose weight. Like that's, that's, those are the only answers. And those are, those are poor. Nice. Um, I think Doug, I mean, me and Sarah spent a good hour on the phone when Doug, Doug interviewed Sarah, Sarah interviewed Doug, whichever, whoever you talk to. Um, and I remember Doug calling me and being like, this was so cool. You got to talk to her. And I remember Sarah did this interview with me and, it was so much more than just like, um, like the questions you were asking Sarah were so cool about wanting to know who I was rather than like how I rode. Um, that was like the coolest part, I think, behind connecting with you as a coach and, and talking to you about like what makes me tick in the sense of, you know, motivation or what makes me mad or upset or motivated. Stuff like that was so interesting for me that someone would care about that rather than just like putting together a training plan. Um, 
Yeah, and I mean, that goes back to what I was saying about pre-written plans because everybody is kind of motivated in different ways. Like some people I feel like might do better with workouts that are a little bit over their head. And if they fail in those workouts, they're fine. Whereas some people might need to have, um, like, I feel like I have to be a little bit gentler. I have to give them workouts that I know they can accomplish and, um, and like really kind of excel at because, you know, somebody's going to get, one person's going to get really demoralized from one workout or one person's going to be really motivated from the same workout or from, you know, their response to the same workout. So when I meet with a new athlete, I try to understand what's going to motivate them the most. And same with like, you know, just simply riding on the trainer in the winter, like some people cannot stand to ride the trainer and they're going to bundle up and ride outside all winter and some people will ride the trainer. Um, so it, it just depends on, on each athlete. So I try to, you know, you can only learn so much about a person in that first initial meeting, but I try to ask questions that allow me to kind of get a handle on what's going to motivate them. Nice. I, I love it. I think it was so, it was so cool that I've never had a coach that did anything like that. So, um, thanks. So uh, we have some tips from Sarah, which I thought would be a practical addition to the podcast. Sarah's got three. I just had top three coaching tips for winter. Sarah, do you want to run through them? Like, how do you want to do it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, <laughs> the again, it's like it, everything comes back to it depends on on the person. But so yeah, tip one is like not too much, not too little, because you know. Some people take the whole winter off. They don't touch their bike. I think that's a mistake. If you want to be fast in the summer, you got to ride through the winter. Um, but, you know, the flip side, and I've certainly made this mistake myself years ago, is um, to just to ride too much. Because whether you're on the trainer or you're bundled up outside, it is, it is mentally more exhausting to train through the winter. Um, and it's easy to be motivated right now. Um, but then by March, you're, you're going to could be really burnt out. Um, and and that is a drag when when the racing is just about to start. So, again, you each athlete needs to know themselves or have a coach who understands them. Um, what's going to be kind of the right dose and um, what's motivating and what's uh, kind of putting them putting them under. Nice. Um, OK, yeah. and then Okay, and the next piece of advice, you've got to explain it yep. about what tempo and sweet spot is. You got to describe what those things are. Okay. So yeah, I said, if, um, if you are crunched for time to focus on tempo and sweet spot training, so tempo training is kind of that six or seven out of 10 effort. Okay. Um, it's like, if you know your um, FTP, it's like 85% of your FTP. Sweet spot is like kind of just above that. So maybe you're up to like a seven and a half out of 10, or you're up at like 90 to 93% of your FTP. Um, so if you're short on time, those are kind of the, the training zones that will, you can do a ton of aerobic conditioning focused on those zones. Um, if you have the time, then the long hours on the bike are great. But if you're short of time, you you can get a really solid, um, you know, aerobic conditioning workout in 60 minutes, 90 minutes, um, something like that. 
with nice. your focused on tempo and sweet spot. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Number three, go Sarah. Uh, number three was like, um, I said, address body composition, lingering injuries, aches and pains. I mean, this is just like these, well, injuries, aches and pains. If you let them go too long, you're, I mean, look, it's better to take time off in the winter than it is during race season. Um, body composition, you know, the tempo and the sweet spot workouts and the long hours on the the bike do need to be well fueled. But if you are trying to lose weight over the winter, you can kind of fudge it a little bit more on those rides than, you know, mm -hmm. when you get into higher intensity workouts, you really want to, you're, you kind of need to be um, really topped off. Um, and also just that, you know, any changes in body composition up or down, like should be done over time. And so the winter is just a time when you have a few, you know, a few months to, to devote. To get fat. <laughs> That's better advice. I had some, uh, I had a group text going with a couple guys and they, they asked me, how are we losing weight? And I told them to use a smaller spoon. <laughs> that could work too. Good job, Sarah. <laughs> um, Doug, if, if you were going to say like how you're, I mean, what's better about life with a coach? Like just for you personally, I just want to like, how is, how have things so, changed? I like structure and to start from, so the week plan is uploaded Sunday mm. to my training peaks. I look at it. Uh, if beforehand, if there's a Zwift ride or like, Hey, we're going to do something dumb on, on uh, Zwift. So I'm like, Hey, this might be going on Tuesday. Is that cool? Uh, I feel better and more confident. She's like, yeah, just go, go do it. Go, go kill it. Okay, good. Then I feel good about that. Um, so the structure there and planning out the entire week is nice rather than flying by the seat of your pants of like, I'm going to go try to write immigration. Um, but beyond that, I would say the most important things, like I sent Sarah an email that says, Hey, I would like to, here, here's a schedule that I would like to do. Uh, I would like to do the um, gravel race August 28th or whenever it is, do point to point the next week and then load the next week. Like, let's talk about this. You know, and this is after we all group text and get together. Everyone asks everybody's opinions. And everyone's like, yeah, man, let's do this. And we had come up with these crazy dumb ideas. But then I put together an email and I ask the adult and then she kindly responds and and tells me like well this is probably what's going to happen if you do that not probably <laughs> i think i said you so said you said will i die and i said i don't think you'll die but i don't think you'll go very fast <laughs> <laughs> I, well i think it will be really hard to be fast for all three that's fun yeah um we asked the team and we've got some questions for coach sarah uh, i'll read the the question uh, one is recovery plan or approach for older guys. We're talking about 55 plus who kind of feel uh, that energy level and recovery level diving. Any advice there? Yeah, um, I think masters athletes um, will do better with, um, you know, instead of doing like two or three hard days in a row, maybe you focus on one quality day, then a day of recovery, and then a hard day. Um, or, you know, see, maybe you can do two hard days, um, and then take a recovery day. And recovery day isn't necessarily a day off, but maybe just an easy spin. Um, 
but I would say, again, it depends. Like you would want to, you know, try it yourself. Is two hard days um, and then a recovery day, are you good to go the following day? Or um, do you, would you do better with one hard day, then a recovery day, and then another hard workout? Um, and, you know, if you stack hard workouts back to back and then take a recovery day, um, are you then, uh, are you feeling good the, the next time you try to go hard, but also like hitting, um, hitting those power targets that you may have? Um, so, I, yeah, I would play around with that, with how many hard days you have back to back. And I would say in general, um, Masters Riders can, it seems, can bounce back um, similar to younger athletes from um, longer rides, longer, lower intensity rides, but the intensity um, requires mm. more recovery. So I, I think that's important to be aware of. Yeah. Um, and then um, it, but he had asked also, what's the best form of recovery? And I'm not oh, sure yeah. I was, I wasn't, I'm not sure if I was understanding this correctly, but you know, I said, um, uh, you know, easy spins with nasal breathing. The nasal breathing is there for a couple of reasons. It, it, um, it elicits a lower, uh, a lower hormonal stress response. If you just breathe through your nose, there's actually, there's a book, there's a ton of information about this right now. Um, it's really, um, uh, current, but, um, it's also, if you only breathe through your nose on your recovery ride, you kind of have a governor on yourself. You, you just can't go super hard because it's easy mm. to kind of fudge it on recovery rides. Um, nice. So that's one idea. Then like swimming, walks, meditation, yoga. And I would say, again, like listen to your body. What feels best for you the next time you get out to train hard? Um, I don't know that there's a, a quote unquote best form of recovery, but whatever you find, you bounce back the best from for your following for, you know, for your subsequent hard training is going to be the best for you. And then I just added uh, sleep. <laughs> sleep might be the best form. You didn't just add that. It, it says also sleep <laughs> <Yeah>. exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Um, next question, strength training or weightlifting advice for the off season. How heavy to lift low rep versus lighter weight, high rep. Hmm. Yeah, and this one I would throw to Art O'Connor. He's a local um, strength coach, and he's been a cyclist for many years, um, competing at a high level. He works with mostly endurance athletes. Um, he his website is wukar.com, w-u-k-a-r.com. And what does that um, stand for, Sarah? Uh, wake up, kick ass, repeat. <laughs> nice, oh, explicit. We're gonna get our rating, our explicit rating. I got us beeped. <laughs> No, I actually bought Art's training program Monday on that app. He nice. advertised uh, on Thanksgiving. So it's like that Train Heroic app, and it's a 12-week strength training program. So I've done two of his workouts. They're pretty cool. rad. Yeah, they're yeah good. he's great. And oh, um, I wasn't going to tell the team that. I was going to be my edge for the summer. <laughs> that was your secret training. Oh, well. I'll send them to you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so Art would be the expert in this area, but that being said, um, as far you know, as far as I know, this this time of year the focus should be on low reps and heavy weight. And as you get more into race season, then you would um, move. Not necessarily, I think, to higher reps, like maybe higher than right now, but 
I, I, I think you're still not trying to get into like super high rep lifting, but you would want to focus on moving really fast and explosively. Cool. Okay. Then our last question comes from Doug and it kind of will bring us in for the ending here. Cause it, it, re, it revolves around, uh, period, uh, period, periodized training. Um, Doug, do you want to ask your question? Do you want me to ask it? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll ask it. Uh, just, just for the basis, uh, is, do you think Sarah, do you think peaking is more mental as in I'm satisfied with what I have done and you let off the gas or, or are you actually physically overreaching and you can't do anymore? I, I think, um, I think you can get to a, a place where you're peaking by overreaching, but I think it's kind of, um, it's a narrow line to walk because you can, uh, if you overreach for too long or, or too much, then you will certainly, um, you know, your performance will take a dive. Um, I think, you know, not to be too hard on you, but we, this year, loaded a, like, Last year, when we very first started, I had this taper plan for you prior to Lodija, and that seemed to work really well. Obviously, the context was totally different because what you had done in the summer of 2019 versus 2020 was really different. But that's, given that the, the taper plan for 2019 worked really well, I kind of used that as a basis for how you tapered this year, and it, 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 didn't, it didn't work very well. Like, unfortunately, you just didn't feel that great for the race. Um, I don't think that was mental. Um, so I don't, but, but that being said, I think like you had high expectations. I don't think you were, um, you were, I think you were mentally peaked for the race, but physically your legs weren't there because the taper plan was not appropriate. Um, so that all of that being said, I have, I have this theory that different athlete phenotypes respond differently to different taper plans. Cause I seem to have a few people who um, just do not feel good with too much of a taper. Um, uh, I have to dig into that deeper and, you know, I don't have any science to support that, but like, I think for you going forward, we would not taper as much. Um, and hopefully you would still be mentally peaked. But the the tapering process and the peaking process, one, I think it creates a lot of pressure because people, um, you know, for example, if you taper for two weeks, it's, it's a little bit scary because you pull your training way back and that, you know, it feels like it feels like you're losing fitness and you are, but the point is that you're shedding fatigue. So, um, at the end of the day, it should even out and, and have you be really ready. But I think um, the feeling like you're losing fitness might be um, kind of more than some people can bear. Um, and it also may just not set some people up as well. Interesting. Does that, I, yeah, I don't know if that answers No, that. it totally makes sense. I think Doug and I might be very similar. I tried, I mean, I don't know if this is true, Doug, but I, when, when I would ramp up into an event or a long ride this year, I would be like, okay, I'm going to 
pull back. I'm going to practice tapering as if it was right. And I would feel awful. Like I would feel terrible. I felt I would, it would be the worst day ever. And so um, what we did was I did my taper for Lodija like three weeks before the race. So I really ramped down training and kind of like pulled back and maybe had like a, I think I took a four or five day like break uh, three weeks before where I was like, okay, I, everything is kind of like reset. And then I used those next two weeks, two and a half weeks to kind of like ramp back in uh, like back into the race. Cause I just do so much better just doing the same thing we do all day, every day, every week. And I like turn into a mess when I'm like not doing what we normally do. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, does. It means we're old and we have routines. Yeah. Is that what I mean? <laughs> but Stuart, did you, what was like, where was your head during those four or five days off? Did it make you nervous? It didn't make me nervous because we were like so far away from the race. I felt like it was just like, it didn't matter if we were like, we were three weeks away. So I was like, Okay. I was like, I was like banking sleep. I was like, you know, I was doing all these things that I would normally do the week of, mm -hmm. but I know that that always backfires for me. So mm -hmm. I did it. Yeah. It's interesting because the other th like thought that I, or thing that I would expect is if you do a longer taper for Lodija or a race like that, that's super long, that maybe you feel a little bit flat in the first couple of hours, but that you really shine later in the race, but mm. that didn't necessarily happen. Yeah. Right, Doug. I mean, no. Yeah, I always feel like we always have that conversation of, well, if you taper, you want to feel good the last half of the race. And uh, in, in nineteen, I did, but this year was a little bit different. I mean, you didn't tell them that I I called you after having a bowel movement at mile one sixty six and cried. <laughs> um, we, we steered away from that one. Uh, you know, the fact remains that episode. we still we still. <laughs> We still made it over the climb. We still rode really hard. Um, yeah, I did have some things going on. Um, so it's kind of, I don't know, that one's kind of all over the place on, and I just stocked it up to a bad day, whatever. But yeah, um, um, yeah those are the things. I'm glad that we've got the historics on them so that we can go back and just figure out what do we want to do next. Yeah, I think one of the things that was so challenging this year is that like there was so little racing. So, you know, those, the, the few races that went off, just like they, they had so much more significance. Yeah, for sure. So much more pressure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very good. Okay. If people are still with us, I congratulate you. Thank you for staying. Uh, this has been an enjoyable time for me. I don't, uh, any, Doug, any other, any final thoughts, Sarah, Doug, before we uh, bring this in for Nandy? No, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It was great. Um, I would recommend if you are looking for a coach to look for Sarah, I will link her uh, website um, to the podcast. But if you want to just listen, it's kcyclingcoaching.com. So kcyclingcoaching.com. She's also on Strava. I enjoy following Sarah on Strava and she does very well complimenting others on Sarah. You're a very active pro writer on Strava. It doesn't happen often. Thanks. Yeah. It's when did that develop, Sarah? When did you become active on Strava? <laughs> yes. This is this year. The stock, out of the podcast the now. Stock, Sarah, will you tell us your feelings about Strava? <laughs> no, it's another podcast. <laughs> this year it really okay. had its place. 
Sarah, you do coach Amy Eaton though, correct? Yep. Yep. I coach yeah. Amy. And yeah. uh, I mean, if you guys know who Melissa Rollins is, another local rider. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are some really incredible athletes. So, okay. Thanks so much. We appreciate you joining. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to end this good old podcast with my thanks to everybody listening and uh, we'll catch you next time.